Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Rail Delivery Group's Big Conversations podcast, where we chat to leading minds across British industry about how we can reconnect the UK in a post-pandemic world. I'm your host, Robert Nisbet. I'm the Director of Nations and Regions at RDG and uh, mostly the spokesperson for the industry. And today we'll be speaking to Philip Ross, who is the founder of the organisation Unwork, talking about the future world of work, trends and innovations that have arisen as a result of the pandemic and what we can expect to see in workplaces in 2021 and beyond. So, Philip, welcome to you. Robert, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Now, just give us a, a short introduction. Tell us about, you know, your, your organisation, why you set it up. Well, I, I founded actually Unwork 25 years ago. It's been a fantastic journey. And we, we just look at the new world of work. And really, it's about challenging the status quo. Um, most workplaces, most people's experience of work is pretty dismal. And we're talking pre-pandemic, obviously. And the, the engagement surveys that people like Gallup can carry out show a very, very low uh, engagement score of people in their place of work. So our purpose is very much to reimagine and redefine how and where people can work. So that's interesting. When we talk about work, we're talking about the, the physical space in which we inhabit when we work. So are we talking about offices? Well, I mean, work, work obviously can take place in a number of locations now. I think one of the interesting things about the pandemic is it's shown that the office is no longer just the only place that work can uh, be conducted effectively. So really, we look at the kind of the paradigm, you know, the idea of work spheres, and and that's a kind of a, a challenge that we're now beginning to embrace. Now, we've obviously heard plenty of conflicting ideas, you know, as we look at the potential uh, coming out of uh, of lockdown and hopefully the end of the uh, of the pandemic as we have known it. Um, but we've had the prime minister, we've had senior senior officials, business owners, campaigners uh, talk to us about how they expect to see quite a quite a buoyant return to work. That people are just desperate to get out of their home offices, whether they be the kitchen or the spare room, and they just want to get back into their office. Is that what you're picking up or do you think it's overstated? I think that's overstated personally. I mean, I'm obviously following the various surveys, YouGov and others. And, um, you know, YouGov, when they were looking at, you know, British workers, found a few a few weeks ago that only 7% wanted to go back to how it was before the pandemic. You know, five days a week commuting to a central business district and uh, spending their working day inside an office sat at a desk. So there, there seems to be a, a growing move of, of an, and a desire for something more hybrid. And I think that's the big challenge is how you'd redefine that. And the announcements by politicians kind of conflict with those of corporates and, and the leaders of, of corporates who have said that they want to reduce the, net, the amount of real estate they lease. And as a result, or you know, it enabled by a changing nature and way of working. And we've seen announcements from people like HSBC, Vodafone and others. The only contradictory uh, conversations have come from people like Goldman Sachs more recently, who do talk more about the return. Because it's interesting, isn't it? There are lots of vested interests going on here, because there may be a company that may have been struggling, perhaps before the pandemic, and they now see an opportunity where we can pay less for our office, we can you know, give up this office that costs us, what, a million quid a year or whatever, and we can move into into somewhere much smaller. So are people or are businesses and some companies, do you think, looking at this as an opportunity to actually slim down costs? Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing, Robert, is that actually we've all been surprisingly effective 
during lockdown. Productivity for many of us increased and the technology was actually just about ready to embrace this mass movement of distributed working. I think that what people hadn't realised is that actually we can operate now because almost everything is moved to the cloud and we'd be, we're able to take a laptop or other device home and you know reconnect with all of our platforms, our software, our data. And actually, if you think about it, the office no longer houses anything we need for work. It's all being driven from the cloud. So people are rethinking the purpose of an office. And actually, before the pandemic, when we used to carry out utilisation studies, actually, the average office was only occupied about 48, 49% of the time. So it was about half empty pre-pandemic. Now, if you now add on the idea that people really would like to work from home, perhaps two days a week, you know, the office as we know it without change will just be empty. It'll feel like a morgue. And therefore, there is a huge opportunity, not just to kind of reduce real estate, which is normally the second overhead for most organizations after people, but to kind of just right size it, to, you know, to redefine and reimagine it. So you could see the office rather becoming rather than becoming somewhere where you in the past where you come in in the morning and you leave in the afternoon that it would be almost like a, a, a an occasional convening space where people just get together to meet to to have you know kind of human contact but that isn't something that's required five days a week nine to five it's just something that could be fitted into part of your program. Yeah, I mean, I think the days of an office being the container for kind of two thousand desks and and you know an, an array of meeting rooms is is a is a dead construct. I think that we will see space. People will still have offices, but they'll reimagine them and they'll they'll think of you know the purpose. Because what's been clear is that certain activities can now be carried out at home very effectively, but other activities, certainly the ones that need interaction, collaboration, creativity client engagement, um, training, mentoring. There's a whole list that need that kind of presence. But one of the key challenges, of course, is bringing the right people together at the right time in the right space. And that's where we kind of have to reimagine it and also think about some of the software that might engineer this idea of you know new ecosystems, new tribes or clusters. Um, but don't forget, Robert, it's not just about the home and the office. We're also predicting kind of new spaces in between. Now, I really want to explore this because I know that you talk about third spaces. Now, what do you mean by that? You know, the home has has its limitations. And I think some people in certain, certain um, situations where they might have small children or um, not enough space to have an effective place to work actually want to leave the home, but they may not want to commute into the central business district, the heart of the city each day. So we predict a huge growth of co-working, third space, drop-in clubs. Um, and that could be quite exciting because they could be closer to the community. You know, people in you know, around the globe, for example, Paris, are talking about 15-minute cities. Um, but they could also be kind of nodes on the transport network so, for example, rather than bringing everybody into the city of London, you might let them stop at a node like Clapham Junction and convene there, for example. And so you might see a more polycentric city emerging. This is really fascinating because to me, this brings to mind what happened with libraries, you know, that, that uh, they became rather than just places where which I remember from my youth, where you, you go in and you, you take a book out. Um, but they've become kind of convening spaces, you know, where there was kind of stronger Wi-Fi, maybe a coffee. It became a community center rather than just a, a, a place with books which had a specific purpose. Precisely. And I think we're also going to see 
um, the reemergence of the guild. You know, if I had to kind of you know forecast one emerging trend, you know, if you go back to our early medieval cities, the first commercial buildings after religious buildings were guild buildings. The city of London, Flanders, elsewhere, and we we came together with 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 like minded professionals, goldsmiths and tanners and so on. And we think we're going to see that re-emerge. And there are some good examples. One of my favourites in London is uh, Elephant and Castle, where the Ministry of Sound, who many of you will know is, is a club and record music label, has opened a co-work space called The Ministry to attract people in the music industry. And it's highly successful. And I think we'll see a lot more kind of club-like uh, workspaces, a bit like Soho House has developed Soho Works and, and many other examples. And you identify other key trends as well, don't you? Um, I, I know we've touched on hybrid working, third spaces. What, what about touchless spaces? What do you mean by that? Well, I think the interesting thing for me is that, you know, post-pandemic, we will be much more cautious of what we touch, you know, surfaces, cleanliness, hygiene and so on. And what people fail to really understand the potential of is the mobile phone. And, you know, we are now carrying a smart computer, a smart device which has the ability to be our kind of global remote control. Um, so we've been working, for example, uh, to help envision a new building in the city of London called 22 Bishopsgate, which many of you will see you know, now you know, part of the skyline. And that's got remarkably advanced technologies. We can now enable smart buildings. And so, for example, with your mobile phone, you can get not just into the building through the turnstiles uh, and into the lobby, but you can actually get to your floor. And that's an integration between security and lifts and um, using both the phone and biometrics. So you can actually have a touchless experience and, and, and get to your space without having to um, interface with any services. And we'll see more and more of that. And I think transport can have a major part to play. I think the idea of the boarding pass that, that we're now expecting to see in airline travel, we'll see much more of for work. And that will have a, a very interesting impact on how people uh, experience movement and travel. And we're certainly seeing that in the in the rail industry as we look at uh, new ways of the actual ticket. So it's not just the, the fare specifically, but ha- how you access that fare. Um, obviously, most of us are used to the kind of orange mag stripe ticket, but increasingly that is moving onto the phone w- w- without a doubt. So I, I think we can certainly see that there are movements in, in, in that area with, with the rail industry as well. And that could be interesting, couldn't it, Robert? Because you know, if, 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 if a client's coming to see you or you're, you're having somebody come for interview, not only could you send them a boarding pass to access the building, but in theory, I guess you could send them the rail ticket as well, you know, all, all as part of this uh, electronic interface that they get on their phone. Don't worry, we're taking notes, Philip. This is great. Thanks very much. Um, Just a a reminder to everyone, you're listening to RDG's Big Conversations podcast, where we're talking to Philip Ross about the future world of work and the trends that are shaping how we will live and work in the months and years to come. We kind of uh, have touched on it, but obviously, you know, as uh, as a representative of the rail industry, um, I'm very interested in what will become of the commute. Because clearly, you know, that the commute has been how the industry has, has paid for itself to some extent with season tickets. Um, but if, as you suggest, uh, we're probably going to go to a more hybrid uh, system of working and all of our research would back up exactly what you're saying. Do you think the traditional commute is dead? Well, it's interesting. I mean, pre-pandemic, I was doing some interesting work um, 
Steve Norris um, and I did some work a few years ago to try and have that debate in the rail industry. And my view was that actually the end of the commute was, a, was, was emerging. This idea that we have to move everybody at the same time each day uh, to a central business district is a, is a relic of a bygone age. I mean, if you think about work, um, some of the definitions of workplace were, were, were kind of the, a relic of the production line, you know, synchronous working, you know, downing tools together to have a lunch break. And of course, we don't need to do that anymore. We're, we're, we're now working through digital platforms where we can be asynchronous, as, as we all know. So that synchronicity, which in effect defines commuting, I think is, is a dying concept. And I've always felt that the transport industry correlated economic growth with transport growth. So the idea in the talk was of longer trains, longer platforms, you know, more people moving at, at the same peaks each day. And I think that now is probably in reverse. And my other thought would be that actually, rather than it just being self-service, you could also then reverse it. So you could begin to look at dynamic pricing to nudge people to change their patterns of behavior. And that can go right the way through the kind of, um, you know, the, the ecosystem of work so that we're making the, the suggestions based on data uh, as to when you should move, when you should travel, and maybe encouraging people with uh, dynamic pricing. And so, yes, I do think that that kind of classic season ticket um, needs to be reimagined. So I, I get exactly what you're, you're saying here, that you could use incentives in a way to ensure that people don't travel at the busiest time of day um, because they're ticket would be much cheaper if they went in the middle of the morning, for, for example. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, we're all experiencing this with our own phones and the apps we use. You know, you, you get a nudge that, that you might like to watch a certain Netflix movie that your friends have recommended or that is recommended for you based on what you've liked previously. And, and I think that nudge will come now to the way we work, the way we travel. Um, it, will, it will learn what we like. It will suggest based on where you are. Um, and I think that the data with with travel is of course remarkable and and to to mine that and to use that in real time i think will be exceptional so you know you could for example link up with let's say a co-working provider to say actually if they have a certain building in let's say Vauxhall with spare capacity you know you could nudge people to travel to Vauxhall with a, a both a, a a price for the for the journey and a and a and a price for the space that they could use so I think that you know you can build a kind of proposition that, that embraces all of it, and even if you could you know add on food and drink, you're, you're, you've got a winning formula. And let's tie together two of your your concepts here. Um, what about commuting a, as a third space? So what about the actual physical environment of the of the the train potentially becoming somewhere where people can do work and and do business? Perhaps when they're going to one of these nodal points that that you're suggesting. Well, absolutely, Robert. I mean, I think that you know reimagining travel to be um, effective for people to to work is really exciting. I mean, we have some basic Wi-Fi uh, on trains. There's there's been a remarkable uh, revolution there, but with five G coming. Um, there are some amazing things that we could imagine and, and, and think about. Um, you know, video is now part of our daily experience. And, and you know, Zoom's one of the kind of rem remarkable success stories of the pandemic. Could, could we think and reimagine how we travel and, and how else we can connect while on the move? Um, the other thing, of course, is can we reimagine transport nodes, you know, stations? I mean, the obvious place for these third spaces are above stations. 
And I think that there's a huge potential to kind of see that the transport network probably kind of gives you the nodes of a polycentric vision for how and where work could take place. So rather than uh, public transport becoming redundant as people, you know, adopt uh, hybrid working, you think that it could actually be the, the, the backbone or the spine of, of a, a new way of, of living, not just a new way of working? I think so. I mean, I think, I think, you know, if you think about how London emerged, I mean, you know, the, the, the major termini, you know, were designed, some of them to bring in goods and some of them to bring in people. But by and large, it's a radial approach to the city with a central business district. And and that central business district at the time had a logic. You know, we, we, we wanted to kind of cluster close to customers and markets. And this idea of agglomeration was, was one of the driving forces of the city. And transport then built up to bring people to the centre. I think if you reimagine it... Um, that that's that's got a phenomenal actual potential, hasn't it? I mean, it's it's different journeys, it's it's different patterns of movement, but it's still movement. And I think that we will see a a landscape for work because of the fact that the office doesn't contain anything we need. It's all about connections to the cloud. So we really can look at the idea of a distributed landscape. I mean, all of this sounds very kind of sci-fi, but do you think that this could start to happen? Uh, elements of what you're talking about um, sooner rather than later. This is not something where we're thinking about maybe in 20, 30, 40 years time that actually some of this could start to happen now. Well, I think it should, Robert. I mean, I think it, it may need driving from government or the, some of the authorities and, and some joined up thinking between operators and, and those that you know run and own stations and real estate around stations. But you can imagine, right, you know, there, there was a massive move to community. You know, you know, a lot of high net worth individuals leave suburban communities and, and spend in the city of London. And we're hearing, of course, that there's a renaissance, you know, in, this, in the suburbs as people have been spending in coffee shops and, and others you know, more locally. What could that look like? You know, could we reimagine the fact that actually rather than clustering with people that you are employed with, you cluster with people that you live close to? or that has, have a common interest or purpose. Um, and I think that has huge potential. It also is very inclusive. You know, for those people who struggle to commute and get into a central city location, whether you have a, a, a disability, whether you have dependents at home, small children, um, all sorts of reasons, um, you might find that actually localism um, has a, a huge pull or, or a shorter commute to a more interesting node. Really interesting stuff, Philip. Thanks so much. And as people start to use the network again, obviously, you know, in the in the rail industry, we're really starting to look at how how they'll be using it, what for, where they're going, um, new uh, methods of uh, of getting to railway stations, for for example, and how we can join all of these different modes of transport up. And these kind of conversations allow us to to, to really think about how we can continue building and creating a, a much more passenger focused and and more reliable railway so thanks philip thank you very much for joining us on the show Uh, thanks everybody for listening and you can find this and other episodes on raildeliverygroup.com and follow the hashtag rdg big conversations on our rail delivery group uh, social channels thanks very much philip thanks everybody for listening